It's show 114 of the RIM Pro Report today. Joe Germanario of Allstate Information Management based in Patterson, New Jersey, and the latest industry news. Uh, this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I've learned recently about the webcast that O'Neill does for its software clients, or strategic partners as they are more affectionately known. On a regular basis, O'Neill provides live webcasts to support unique and important features of the software and capabilities. If you are a partner, you already know about them. If not, you can learn more about them at O'NeillSoft.com. Hey, I'm back from Europe and I'm ready to go, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. Let's just end. This show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, 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 it's me. And as I said last week, I was in Europe at the European Information Management Conference sponsored by Prism, Nade, and Arma. It was great to meet so many new industry members as well as catch up with a number of longtime industry people. I hope to, in the near future, introduce you to some of them on the show as well. Speaking of introductions, Joe Germanario will be on the show today. Joe is a well-known person in the rim industry, and I'm looking forward to chatting more with him. But before we chat with him, let's get caught up on the latest industry news. We missed some updates last week, so here's the rundown for a couple of weeks. Just over a week ago, Cornerstone Records Management announced the acquisition of Space City Record Storage based in Webster, Texas. This is the third acquisition in the Houston area for Cornerstone. Congratulations to Cornerstone on this latest acquisition. Broadridge Financial Services and Archive Systems announced a strategic alliance late last week, which represents a complete records management solution specifically for banks, brokers, and mutual fund organizations. Gordon Rapkin of Archive Systems suggests the alliance Alliance marries Archive Systems' unique approach to records management and Broadridge's extensive experience in investor communications. So congratulations to both companies on this new strategic partnership. Looks like Iron Mountain is moving to new headquarters in Boston. Tishman Spire announced that they had signed a long-term lease with Iron Mountain for 129,000 square feet in the financial district at 1 Federal Street in Boston. Iron Mountain suggests it will likely move its operations and their 600 employees to the offices early 2014. Congratulations to Iron Mountain on the new headquarters. And finally, lest you think that governments of the world have improved their ability to manage records, looks like the National Health Services in the UK is not doing so well keeping private information private. In a recent report in The Telegraph, it is reported that the NHS is losing on average 5,000 confidential records per day. In the last 12 months, they've lost almost 1.8 million client records, including physical records improperly disposed, electronic records sold on an internet auction, and a whole lot more scary stuff. So for all our UK residents who are part of the show, uh, keep careful. With a couple of weeks of backlog, I'm sure there's lots of other news I missed, but that's the big stuff for now. If you any have anything big happening, please let me know. All right, hang tight while I get a Joe Germanario on the line. 
Joe Germanario is the president of Allstate Information Management based in Patterson, New Jersey. You might know Joe from his national TV appearances. Joe, welcome to the RIM Pro Report. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, tell me about Allstate Information Management. Let's let's start with sort of a broad view of the company. What are kind of the service offerings you have? Uh, maybe, you know, the, the uh, locations, that kind of stuff. Give me a sense of who Allstate Information Management is. Sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, we currently handle uh, clients directly in six states, uh, have 1,500 clients uh, with a variety of sizes and sectors that we service. Um, and we are a full-service off-site records and information management company. Okay. And by that, I mean that we service uh, not only the uh, general hard copy um, sector, but we also handle uh, archive vaulting uh, for vital and historical documents. We also do data protection as far as media vaulting and rotation. Uh, we do shredding, we do scanning, and consulting as well. Wow. So uh, you, you've got a full range of services across the RIM scope, it sounds like. Uh, you've got uh, how many? You've, uh, obviously, you've got the location, your headquarters. Do you have other locations? If you're serving six states, you got to have a bigger footprint, wouldn't you? Yes. Well, we actually uh, service more than six states. We service six states directly wow. through our, our current uh, two locations. Okay. The, the headquarters location is in historic Patterson, mm -hmm. New Jersey, uh, which is 12 miles outside of Manhattan. Okay. And I have a regional location in Pensauka, New Jersey, which is seven miles out of Philadelphia. Okay, so your six states then, uh, that that New Jersey presence, uh, that farther south one, allows you to hit an, a group of other states as well. Correct. Yeah, okay. Wow. So um, services, uh, you've got, what kind of staff do you have? You, you must have a fairly significant staff with two locations and that many clients and and. Yeah, I can only imagine you're, what, 40, 50 staff members? Uh, well, as a matter of fact, Tom, your your experience evidently is uh, is far-reaching. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, we, we do have, we do have uh, 50 employees. Wow. But I, I think because of the uh, over 2 million cubic feet that we currently service, I like to think that we are a lean, efficient organization. Yeah, Wow, you are. That's that's uh, that's some good numbers there. Um, so let, let's go back then into your story a little bit. Uh, take me back 24 years. I think that's what I read either in your LinkedIn or your, your website profile. How did Allstate get started? What was the genesis of the business? Where did this all come from? Okay, well, first of all, back 24 years ago, uh, I actually had hair. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's that's something that's that's interesting. Well, so I, I wish I could go time. back 24 years ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're too kind. You're too kind, Tom. Um, nevertheless, uh, I actually went to uh, Seton Hall University undergrad as a business management major, and I was planning on going to continuing along uh, Seton Hall University, going to the law school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had worked uh, part time in construction going through school, and also part-time at a self-storage uh, facility. What had happened was uh, I was working in the, uh, in the office in the self-storage uh, during summers and, and break, and um, as I was graduating college 
and going off to law school, I was approached by the owners who uh, told me that the managers were embezzling money from the self-storage business. So they had uh, basically offered me a job with my background and the fact that they could trust me to come in and troubleshoot and manage the self-storage, uh, basically clean it up, if you will, hmm. um, uh, to help them out and uh, and get their business back up and running again in honest fashion. So I, of course, being a, a poor college kid at the time, <laughs> looked at the opportunity to actually have some positive cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I decided that I would uh, put off law school and take this opportunity to run the self-storage, which I did. And uh, I noticed very quickly that there were professionals uh, coming in, suit and tie, uh, doctors, lawyers, accountants, storing their records and files in self-storage spaces, hmm. which was fine because, of course, I was renting space. I was making money on that space. But I had uh, looked at it and said, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And uh, upon uh, further inspection, I found a software system that I was able to uh, barcode the boxes with, uh, store the boxes on shelving. At the time, I converted a 10 by 20 space, which is the size of one car garage, not knowing the potential of this business. Uh, put in some shelving, hired a maintenance person slash delivery person. Uh, bought a van and uh, started servicing clients, storing, you know, 20, 50, 100 boxes here and there on the shelving, going out once a week to uh, do a delivery, a pickup here and there. And from there, as I'm sure you realize, and uh, most people listening to this might realize, it just exploded exponentially as far as volume goes. Yeah, okay, so were you doing this independent of the self-storage company then, or or was that sort of a transition that occurred at that point, um, or was this within the within the structure of the self-storage company? That was a that was a transition okay. uh, from the from the self-storage. Once I saw the potential of it, uh, I started uh, a company called uh, company was Route 80 Self-Storage at the time, so the obvious choice was to call it Route 80 Business Archives, uh, which were the humble beginnings wow. of, of all state information management. So, uh, you know, once that got started, as I mentioned, it, it grew exponentially just with the hard copy yeah. growth. Yeah. Okay. Once the hard copy growth started to grow, uh, I added on a couple of buildings here at the uh, headquarters campus and uh, continue to grow where right now actually control uh, three quarters of a million square feet uh, square feet that is of uh, of records and information management wow. space so it's a a very uh, wide sprawling uh, campus that uh, that I have here and uh, you know storing just the hard copy I noticed also another trend that there were hard copy clients storing their data, their tapes and discs and electronic right. and magnetic media in the, uh, what I call now, the general records center area, right? which of course is, is much less than ideal. So uh, again, looking into it uh, closely, I looked into data protection and uh, those that were uh, seriously into data protection at the time, I looked into the firelock vaults and decided that that was the ultimate in data protection and I decided to uh, install a firelock vault here at the 
headquarters hmm. and transitioned a lot of those clients that were storing tapes and discs in the General Records Center area into the Firelock vault. Right. Okay, so you glossed over a whole huge part of the story, which I, I appreciate because you got a lot of story in 24 years. But so you're in this 10 by 20 self-storage unit and you start getting clients. You leave the self-storage company. So how did you go about building it right off the bat? Or did you start going out and pounding the pavement? Or how did you grow from a 10 by 20 to get to the point where you could even uh, create a three quarters or, or become a part of a three quarter, a million square foot building? Uh, that, that doesn't happen without a whole lot of activity in the interim. Absolutely, Tom. And this is actually, uh, you know, your bailiwick, which is sales and marketing. Uh, honestly, I would have to say that uh, it's more of the sales effort rather than the marketing. Really did not have a marketing machine going at the time. Quite simply, had uh, feet on the street, uh, which was the, uh, let's say, the method du jour yeah. uh, back then was to get out, get in front of people, and really I would have to say the largest part of our success was word of mouth. Hmm. Uh, as I'm, as I'm sure the listeners can uh, can attest to, yeah. uh, catch twenty two situation really had us vexed initially because you go to a, a larger client and uh, say we'd like to handle your records and files, and they say, well, who else do you have our size? And of course, it was <laughs> you know at the time no one, but right. you know you had to start somewhere. Right. So once once I got over that hump, we were really able to. Uh, to experience the growth that we had. And I, w I would chalk it up mostly to word of mouth. Wow. Very cool. Uh, so the, the growth continues and you get to a certain point where you're able to go into a significantly larger building, um, which I, I don't know if it was your Patterson headquarters complex uh, initially. Is that kind of where you started out? A after you yes. got out of the self-storage routes? Yes, actually, uh, as as part of the complex here in Patterson, which is where the self storage is, and that that still remains a sister company to uh, what is now Allstate Information Management. Um, the there were other parts of this of this complex that is formerly the Curtis Wright uh, Aeronautical uh, plant um, that were available and. Uh, little by little, acquired more and more space within this sprawling complex. Wow. So tell, tell me a little bit about that building. It's, it's, and I've never seen it, but you've told me about it a couple of times over the years. Uh, it's, it's a pretty significant building, isn't it? Why does it work so well for RIM-related records management, data protection? Why does it work so well for that? Tell, tell me a little bit about the story of the building. Sure, Tom. Well, once again, it is... Uh, a former Curtis Wright plant, and uh, Curtis was a motorcycle engine manufacturer, whereas uh, Wright is uh, none less than the Wright brothers. Really? And uh, they actually, yes, they, huh. they created uh, Curtis Wright to build airplane engines. And uh, the first phase uh, of the plant opened up around 1920, and uh, they started building these so-called whirlwind engines here. 
which uh, that is actually the engine that was used to power Charles Lindbergh's flight, uh, his, his first transatlantic flight. Wow. So there is quite a, a history here that early on in the 20s. Yeah. As the buildings evolved, uh, it became a crucial part uh, for the World War II effort. And the engines that were built here powered that fight, or those fights, I should say. And as a matter of fact, they also built the engines here for the Enola Gay. Mm. Uh, and we know the history behind behind that plane. Wow. And the uniqueness, the uniqueness of the complex is interesting because it was actually, uh, parts of it were engineered to withstand bombings if it were bombed. Uh, at wartime, the roof was, was painted uh, as, a, as a park, so if they were flying over, it would be somewhat camouflaged. Hmm. And uh, also parts of the building were built to withstand explosions, interior explosions, because when they tested the engines, they would test them in these so-called test cells and, uh, and, and uh, bring them to their, their stress point, and a lot of the engines uh, exploded where they got into the field, but um, nevertheless, it, it what we're doing today with the luxury of having buildings like this yeah. are we are developing these and bringing them up to the state-of-the-art protection. And as a matter of fact, using those so-called test cells where they used to test the engines and uh, developing those into archive vaults to protect vital and historical documents as well as uh, electronic and magnetic media. So those those really cool uh, places where they tried to blow up engines or engines blew up, so they're solid, they're thick, um, and and are so you're putting you're doing unique stuff in there. Not only putting uh, you know the stuff that you manage, but you're also making those available to independent clients to have their own little vault. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, clients have the option of either uh, utilizing the same system that we use in the General Records Center, which is to uh, store boxes by the unit, by the size, and, and pay per box, per size of box per month, or they can get their very own vault or series of vaults and dictate what level of protection they're most comfortable with hmm. within those vaults. Oh, that's so cool. So uh, one of the unique, it sounds to me like one of the uniquenesses that you provide, as opposed to a lot of your competitors who might have a box with shelves and racks and even a vault, you actually have the ability to create completely personalized private vaults for clients. It's, it's, that sounds like what gives, that's one of the things that gives you a distinction in the marketplace. Correct. That is one of our so-called USPs, unique selling propositions that, yeah. that we have. And it's not only the vault itself, Tom, but it's also the environment. Okay. And it's a very finitely controlled environment with uh, standalone HVAC, desiccant dehumidification, uh, and a choice of fire suppression, be it FM 200 or, uh, of course, fire uh, water sprinklers. Right. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. I, I can't wait to come and see your building at some point because I, I try to imagine it in my head and I haven't quite gotten the, um, I can only imagine something like a, a uh, almost like an underground kind of, of view of it. So it's got this big monster store and then you walk in and it's got these huge monstrous walls to it, but then you've teched it out with all of the fire suppression and all the additional stuff that comes with it. Yes, it's a, it is a unique uh, group of buildings yeah, that I have. Yeah, that's very cool. So um, 
with this 25, almost, or 24 years in the business, you've no doubt uh, early on, you out and pounded the pavement, but to get to 1,500 clients and to be able to occupy that kind of space and multiple, multiple centers, um, what are some of the, the sort of secrets or what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that keep the machine going? Because while 20 years ago, knocking on doors worked better, um, that doesn't work as well today. What keeps the machine that you have going? How do you keep filling the record center with clients? How do you keep filling the vault? What are, what are some of the things that work for you? Well, Tom, uh, if I had to sum it up in one statement, I would have to say, first and foremost, give the people what they need. Hmm. Okay? And to further define that, it really gets down to uh, creating uh, a, an entity here that uh, is not necessarily the, you know, the cheap alternative. Okay? Right. To me, that was, that was a way to gain temporary business because you know, anyone that, that solely selects a vendor uh, based solely on cost uh, is, number one, I feel, asking for, for trouble. Uh, and, and number two, not a loyal client. So right. I've tried to position us to be a, a high-quality, high-service-oriented uh, alternative to the other choices that are out there. And to borrow from, uh, a, uh, I don't know if you have Sims stores or f- familiar with Sims stores, which are now out of business, but their founder, Cy Sims, I'll never yeah. forget his saying, an educated consumer was their their best customer, hmm. and I fully believe that uh, the more a prospect would know about the quality standards that uh, that we hold highest here, uh, better that we look, and the less that cost would uh, be an issue. Right. With that said. Again, the more that they know as far as what actual services they would be taking advantage of and what their needs are, and if they were to run the, the numbers uh, in, a, in a comprehensive manner, they would see that if we were not the lowest cost option, that we were right there in the, in the, in the mix, so to speak. And I would always tell my prospects that there is no magic in this, in this business. Everyone has... Everyone that's running a responsible business has costs to cover. They have a profit on top of it. And at the end, uh, everything should be in the same ballpark. If it's not, that meant that there was an anomaly somewhere along the line. So right. We've always tried to present a, a, the, the best product possible at uh, fair market prices, not necessarily the, the lowest prices, but fair prices. Yeah. And uh, with that philosophy, you know, giving the, the people what they, what they need, uh, whether they initially understood that or not, yeah. that that's what they needed, okay, which, of course, took some uh, consulting typically to, to, to uh, let them understand, uh, because most of our clients came into our relationship naive as far as what their true needs were. So it, it, it would take some uh, consulting uh, to sit down with them and do a true needs assessment to determine what we thought the uh, best practices were for them, to convey that to them, and to let them make the final decision as to uh, fitting their budget 
so that they could have the best product available. Right. And, and edu- it sounds like, I mean, if you give them what they need and they don't quite know what they need, you've got to educate them through that, consult them through that. And by by virtue of that, you end up with an educated consumer who then places trust in what you're you're offering and it sounds to me like the back end of what you've got not just the systems and process and people and that but then you've got this kind of unique selling proposition that 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 allows this unique building you have to actually do some some work on your behalf as well yes tom well well said and uh in addition to that we also back everything up that we say with our client bill of rights Hmm. uh which which basically you know, gives our clients the power uh, to get things right, and if it's not right, it's free. And wow. My philosophy is to uh, basically go back to the golden rule and treat others the way that I want to be treated. And uh, I am a picky guy, uh, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> but I think that if I if I convey that, give my empower my clients with the the rights that I feel I deserve. I think that's again the, the fair and reasonable way to uh, to approach things. Yeah. Well, I've never asked this question ever before on the show, and I was thinking about you uh, as as we prepared for today, and uh, I I thought of this: What if I took you out of Jersey? I removed all of the assets, so the cool building, all of that kind of stuff, and I flew you across the country and dropped you in L.A. And you had to build a rim business from scratch. What would be the very first thing you'd do? Call Tom Adams. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go second. Um, well, I would uh, I would do my due diligence yeah. first and foremost. I would look at the at the demographics. I would look at the potential in the marketplace. I would look at the uh, demographics. And, and see what the upside potential would be uh, as far as uh, what kind of business might I, I find out there, how I would approach those, those clients, try and get all my, my costs in line. Of course, then choose a, a location for my first record center, uh, decide whether I'm going to do it uh, Greenfields or do it by, uh, by acquisition. Uh, and in the case of doing it by acquisition, I would I would look in the area and see who the competitors are, uh, see if they would be amenable. Uh, well, first of all, see if they're attractive uh, to me, see if they are amenable to possibly uh, selling, uh, explain to them my philosophy and, and, and what they would get out of it, basically. And then I would uh, commit my financial resources to that, that marketplace. And uh, of course, all, all kidding aside, you know, marketing would be a key aspect, especially if it's Greenfield. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, if I were to take, you know, Allstate Information Management, which has a great reputation in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Philadelphia, and, and Delaware, uh, but we would obviously be an unknown entity out in California. So, yeah. I would have to build brand awareness. There, if again, if it is a greenfields operation, yeah, uh, and uh, I would really have to bolster up my uh, SEO on my website. I would make sure I get involved with the local chapters of Pharma. Uh, I would make sure I do as many uh, networking events as possible, uh, 
speaking engagements to get out there and and be an authority in my field. Um, and again, uh, give the people what they need. Given what the opportunity, uh, I would I would have to uh, position us again as a as a quality alternative to the other vendors that are that are out there, and uh, try and make us uh, a value added proposition to whoever we deal with and to treat them fairly and reasonably. Yeah. So you likely wouldn't go back to starting in a 10 by 20 again. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. Okay. I, it didn't sound like it based on that explanation, but I just wanted to make sure. So what, what really excites you about the rim business right now? What, what, what parts of it uh, do you, do you see lots of future and, and excitement in, in terms of your business and, and the direction you're heading with it? Well, what's always excited me about this business is is the fact that when asked who a prospect would be, okay, for rim services, yeah, uh, the answer is anyone and everyone that creates information, and we all create information. So right. anyone and everyone is a prospect, and that continues to excite me. Uh, with the we are in every sector that's out there, you know, from. Uh, Healthcare, to manufacturing, to defense contractors, government records, accounting firms, law firms—you name it. Yeah. Everyone is a prospect for the records and information management industry. Right. Um, so, what excites me right now uh, and intrigues me is the shift that I am seeing from hard copy. Although hard copy is is still strong. Um, I'm seeing a shift to electronic, especially in healthcare. Yeah. Uh, electronic medical records, uh, uh, so forth. I'm seeing a lot more of that, um, and we have uh, we have looked into that, but not pulled the trigger on anything, so to speak, within electronic health records yet. Um, I'm also seeing that there is a shift within data to the glorification, so to speak, of of cloud. Right which uh, there are inherent issues uh, when dealing with cloud for not so much for, for backups, uh, but more so for restoring, because that's really what it's about. It's, yeah. about, it's about restoring. Yeah. Um, and not to knock cloud, you know, there is, there is a place for cloud, but, but tape, uh, especially with recent advances uh, that have been made in tape that actually make it act like uh, like disk now, it's it's has the advantages of disk and the advantages of tape. Yeah. But yeah. that message needs to be out there for the public because the the public perception, and this is actually coming from one of my twelve year old twins. Uh, I I said uh, yeah I just came from a conference on uh, you know on, on data protection and you know backup tape storage. My twelve year old son said to me. Tape? Who uses tape anymore? Okay, and and that was a a point well taken yeah. that reflects the public perception, uh, especially dealing with upper level management. They think of tape as a as a dinosaur, and I think I'm excited at the prospect of conveying to the public that uh, tape is not uh, not only not dead, but tape is alive and thriving, and it's a a much better alternative. Uh, cloud uh, or any other uh, or hard drive uh, storage. Yeah. Wow. So if you could go back 
24 years ago with all you know today, what would you tell yourself as you started uh, the Route 80 Business Archives? What advice would you give yourself that might have uh, created a, a, a different path? They might have saved you a, a mistake along the way. What one thing, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice with all you know today, what one piece of advice would you give? Well, again, I would, I would sum it up in, uh, in this case in two words. Think bigger. Hmm. Knowing what I know now about the potential in this industry and seeing the trends of uh, all the M&A activity that has occurred, I would have taken a much more aggressive stance acquiring my, my competitors, seeing the potential in the business, and getting into the electronic realm uh, a lot earlier and a lot heavier as hmm. far as uh, as far as scanning goes uh, and technologies such as uh, e-vaulting right as well although they were to, would have been it would have been very expensive at the time uh, especially uh, to get into e-vaulting early I think that would have really given a, uh, a nice foothold uh, in those in those markets and also with the economies of scale Having a larger organization with the uh, uh, all the mergers and acquisitions, I think that would have positioned us uh, much better in the marketplace. Yeah. Wow. Think bigger. That's a great, great one. And I, I think sometimes so many of us uh, get caught up in building the perfect business. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah, within our industry and 24 years ago, you, you kind of hit the market at almost a, a, a a really golden time, which is there, there was enough, there was enough information happening and the technology had really created a boom of, in, of, you know, paper coming out the door. And even with the tape stuff on the side, you, you hit it at a really good time. But that, that advice about think bigger is something that I think we should still be doing today. Uh, instead of sort of narrowing our view, there, there's a huge opportunity. Like you said, every single person, every single company out there that creates information is a potential prospect and client for us in this world. That's that's cool stuff. Hey, uh, we, we've blown through 30 minutes and you and I could talk probably another 30 easily. But uh, a couple of quick, quick questions just as we end the call. What's it feel like to be a TV celebrity? And I'm going to ask this in the context of my own story, which is I'm sitting on the couch <laughs> one day and I'm watching TV in San Diego and I jump out of the couch. I jump literally and I go, hey, it's Joe. And there, there you are on TV. And I wonder how that's affected your life now that you're a TV celebrity. Well, Tom, uh, first of all, uh, whereas if I was not on uh, national uh, TV for, for Match.com, I wouldn't have to charge you for this interview. But seeing as, uh, as I am, you will get a bill for this interview right. in the mail. Right. And I... expect it to be fair and reasonable. Right. Okay. Fair and reasonable. And, and you gave me what I needed. But uh, but actually, that's uh, that's an interesting question. I I, I think I became a uh, I wouldn't say a national uh, celebrity or a TV star, but uh, kind of by default. When I got divorced, uh, a friend of mine was on Match.com. I got on Match, and soon after getting on to Match.com, they had solicited me to allow them to uh, to tape a uh, an actual first date, and. Uh, I thought it might be fun, so I said, yeah. "Sure, why not?" 
and uh, they did. They chose, uh, 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 I think, six people across the country in, in, in various markets. And uh, they came in and, sure enough, did just that. They filmed the first day, told me to act natural. There was no, uh, no script, no makeup, no wardrobe. Uh, they actually said not to mention Match.com, and, and lo and behold, uh, they took some shots and some sound bites, and three and a half years later, they're still they're still using them. I know it's hilarious. So, uh, it's, it's so cool yeah. to, to every so often you just get a glimpse of Joe. There he is. He's just on TV. <laughs> Hey, I I know that so, that was kind of a cool it. that was a cool thing for you, but I think one of the things I know you're passionate about is um, is uh, the MS benefit bike ride that you're involved in, and uh, I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart. Tell me a little bit about that as we end the call. MS is an insidious disease. It usually hits uh, people between 20 and 40 and shows up unannounced. They still don't know what causes it, uh, and there still is no cure for it. It can be as as uh, as low impact as having tingling or numbness in your hands, arms, or, or legs, or it could be totally incapacitating and even uh, lead to lead to death. Hmm. So um, I actually have a, a cousin that uh, is afflicted with the disease, and uh, a good friend of mine also uh, has the disease, and. Um, I started doing these rides 15 years ago, wow. and uh, it was a it was a true win-win across the board, yeah. or a win-win-win, if you will. It was, you know, it was good for me and all my my teammates to to get out and uh, and get exercise and, and get outside and get ourselves moving, and it was good for the uh, for the people afflicted with MS. It, it gave them some hope, and they would even be out on the on the course cheering us on and so forth, which was inspiring uh, to say the least. And, and just the, I actually felt kind of selfish doing these rides, even though I, I've raised over $30,000, you know, through my teams in my lifetime for this, for this cause. And uh, I actually felt selfish because of those good feelings that were inside me just bubbling out hmm. uh, in, in doing these rides, knowing that I was doing good for them, knowing I was doing good for uh, myself, and having the camaraderie of my, my teammates there with me just, just really made it a, a very special event. And as I said, I just happened to re-experience that after a hiatus uh, for a few years this Sunday uh, through uh, the Army New York City chapter. Wow. Well, it, it speaks a lot about who you are. And Joe, um, you know, from from early beginnings in a 10 by 20 on Route 80, uh, you've come a long way. Congratulations. That's great stuff. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. It was, uh, it was great to hear about it. Great to hear what you've done and uh, the success you've had. So congratulations again. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tom. It was uh, it was truly a pleasure. Well, they have another great interview. Joe's been doing some pretty cool stuff and has a kick butt business. I know over the last few weeks, Joe's been full on dealing with and supporting Hurricane Sandy issues in his client community and in his community at large. I'm 
I'm really grateful for the time he took to share his story with us today. And I want to thank you for stopping by yourself. I am grateful every week you show up to support the show and to hear what's going on in the lives and worlds of others in the industry. Finally, I want to give a big shout out to our exclusive sponsor, O'Neill Software. Last week at the conference in Europe, Ian Thomas presented a talk on the cloud and the future of it in the RIM services world. I got to say, he has a very unique and important view of it. And as both a leader at O'Neill and in the industry, clear thinking and vision is critical to success. If you're interested in being connected to a company with a solid vision for the future of this business, especially as it relates to software, which is so important to it all, you need to check out O'Neill Software, and you can do so at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for now. Have yourself a great week. We are out of here. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the RIM Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. Where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.